Uh, good evening, Tuesday, 7pm, uh, 7 7pm 7 kickoff uh, for myself and Dan, which uh, will become relevant uh, as, as we get into, into this week's chat on uh, on broadcasting rights, uh, which has been a hot topic this week. It's not it's not usually the kind of sexiest topic in, in football to talk about, to talk about broadcasting schedules and when a team is playing uh, and, and why a team is playing at a particular time and, and day. But uh, Mr. Jurgen Klopp has brought that into the into the spotlight this week uh, with his obviously his comments around Liverpool playing at twelve thirty after uh, playing Wednesday night in in the Champions League. And uh, yeah, the interview with, with Tess Kelly certainly were, well worth a watch. Um, and and there's certainly even that that interview doesn't necessarily clear up some of the ambiguity around. So, on, so we'll get into into that today. But useful starting point because actually there's a bit of a tension here, Dan, because um, you've got you know Klopp and Liverpool unhappy with playing at a 12:30, but Liverpool's biggest source of income is broadcast money. So. How do clubs kind of think about broadcast money when when they've got these kind of tensions going on? Yeah, the, I mean, it's it's really compulsive viewing that Klopp interview, and it's actually almost the interview that you you want to watch but you don't want to watch, and you're sort of half like looking away because actually Kelly sort of um, you know fronts up and sort of confronts the the points that Klopp makes, and we'll maybe talk about that um, in a bit of detail too. But you know. Um, you know, depending on some of the larger European clubs and a number of the Premier League clubs included in that, you know, um, you know Liverpool are, are making upwards of over £400 million revenue plus per season. I think it was coming up to much 500 I think, in a way. Um, over the last, it was, it was a great stat actually a couple of years ago where when Liverpool won the Champions League, they were the first team in world football to break the quarter of a billion pound mark in terms of mm. broadcasting revenues. And that was obviously slightly different, which was just over 152 million pounds, I believe, in terms of central Premier League broadcasting monies, and then just under um, 100 million pounds in terms of um, winning the Champions League for, um, for that season against um, Spurs in the final. So um, you can simply see from, um, you know, a, a greater proportion of revenues. And obviously that doesn't include stadium, match day, sponsorship and commercial um, um, parts. But, you know, over the years, we've seen that what usually in slightly different terms, what usually is deemed the, the, uh, the most uh, lucrative game in world football is always that playoff Wembley final game because everybody understands the broadcasting riches from getting into the Premier League and actually the parachute payments coming back down. Um, and you can see by the amounts that um, Liverpool effectively earned from winning the Premier League um, last year, which was, they haven't actually... I don't know if they've actually provided those figures. How no, they haven't. This, yeah, I suspect there's uh, the COVID uh, yeah. rebates and so on. Just think my, my brain was just starting to think over that because usually at the end of every season they provide that. But yeah. depending on when those rebates or broadcasting rebates happen or otherwise, it was estimated that, you know, Liverpool or the champions were going to get in the region of 150 to 170 million pounds, um, which means that, you know, the relegated club from its central broadcasting distributions are still going to earn circa 95 to 100 million so the short answer there is is that especially for the smaller clubs who have smaller commercial sponsorship gate and match day revenues um, those central broadcasting funds which encompass bt sport sky and amazon for the uk domestic market and obviously all of the exclusive incumbent partner broadcasters around the world 
it makes up a disproportionately large number um, uh, that that you know those teams are heavily heavily reliant on. And you know the, that that BT uh, one of those two packages is obviously a very lucrative deal as well. Yeah, exactly. The and this is where I guess um, the response to clubs is that you can't complain because you you sign up to the TV money. You, you've got to kind of bend to their will, and and you know the, the broadcasters are ultimately. I say ultimately, it's, it's us subscribers, I suppose, who ultimately foot the bill for for Premier League football. But um, but the broadcasts obviously have um, you know pick buy packages, and we can get into that as to when they land um, buy packages that that they need to fit fit clubs mm-hmm. into. Um, so why why were Liverpool at twelve thirty? How do these packages work? You know what what is what are some of the dynamics when it comes to, to picking games because it's not. It's not just simply a case of you get, you know, UBT get this game, you Sky get this game. It's a bit more complicated than that. Yeah, and actually, I think because I know you've, um, uh, that's one of the areas that previously you've done, uh, you've got good knowledge of, and have done quite a lot of analysis for, for a variety of different um, stakeholders at different times. But you know, from my from my understanding and working with a number of foreign broadcasters over the years when purchasing um, Premier League and Champions League broadcasting rights. It's slightly different, obviously, for um, um, foreign broadcasters as it is for domestic broadcasters in that what um, um, what the Premier League does for its UK audience um, is effectively um, uh, put in place a tender procedure, in part because of previous European Competition Commission um, uh, um, diktats around more than one broadcaster broadcasting Premier League games in the UK. Um, but effectively, what has happened over the years is a number of different packages, live exclusive packages, have been sold to a number of different broadcasters, ESPN, Satanta, BT Sport and Sky. Sky has more or less been the, the constant on Amazon, obviously, but Sky has been the constant since 92. And whereas there were five year exclusive deals back in 92, where only one bit of Sky was the um, success story. Over the years, that has been whittled down to shorter deals, i.e. a maximum of three-year exclusive deals, but then packaged in a different way to the extent now, based on the last tender um, disclosures, was that effectively there were three broadcasters, Sky, BT, and Amazon, um, fighting over seven packages. Sky, I believe, got the majority, which was four packages. Uh, BT uh, had two, and then Amazon got the um, quite unique, um, effectively OTT, uh, digital only um, uh, package, which are coming up quite soon. Actually, the first one's coming up quite soon. I believe I think it's Boxing Day, isn't it? I think. Um, and I think they've got a few more actually bearing in mind COVID restrictions too. So um, yeah, I think the question back to you to a degree is once effectively you know, those packages are sold. So for example, BT has package A, which is um, 32 live matches available at the 12.30 slot over 32 of the game weeks. And that supposedly translates as 20 second picks and then, uh, I forgot that right, yeah, and 12 um, fifth picks, fifth round picks effectively are the best games. That replicates across those other packages like Super Sunday, like Monday Night Football, like the Sunday two o'clock game, and then midweek packages as well, for example. So, the 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 interesting bit that would be great to get some of your um, insights on there is, you know, how how does that work in practice? How does everyone go around 
picking matches is it it's obviously i know a very nuanced and um you know forensic process but you know in your experience um how, how's that actually come around yeah it's it's really it's probably more scientific than i think people probably realize um there's a lot of numbers that sit behind um that, that broadcasters collect on you know viewership figures for, for different types of matches and you can run all kinds of models to give you a sense on whether this team is playing this team at this time of the week and it's this context in the season you know this this day um this day of the week this time of the day uh, this is how many viewers we might expect um and so based on that broadcasters can kind of make their picks they have certain constraints so you can't pick a, a team more than i think 30 times in, in the kind of uk uh, broadcast slots um so that means at least about eight 3 p.m kickoffs for the teams over the course of the season so uh, Liverpool fans might have noticed in kind of February, March time last season when it looked pretty obvious Liverpool were going to win the league. They started playing at three o'clock quite regularly because all the broadcasters wanted their games at the end of the season when they might secure the title. And that's where you obviously bring in bring in the viewership. So there's there's kind of all kinds of tactics that fall into that. The, the really interesting, um, uh, I guess, point to discuss is, is this 12.30 kickoff, which actually has more significance than perhaps a lot of people realize. Um, and it's obviously been reported quite a lot in the press here, but I'm speaking as someone from experience because I actually grew up in Singapore. Um, so out in East Asia, which at the moment is eight hours ahead of, of the UK, 8.30 p.m. kickoffs were the one real kickoff you could watch. You could maybe maybe watch the um, you know the, the 10 or 11 at night game, um, you know, into the night, which is, which is quite popular out there. But but in East Asia, which is a which is a very big market for, for the Premier League and, and increasingly, you know, for other leagues as well, uh, that 12:30 kickoff is an opportunity to get in a lot of viewers. Um, and so Liverpool, being a big popular team out in East Asia, and Man United as well, will end up getting picked more in those slots when they can by uh, by a BT. Um, whereas you know the Sunday four o'clock, which four thirty as it is now, which does tend to bring in, I think, some of the biggest viewership numbers. Um, that ten you know, Sky tend to get first picks on that. And that's why you tend to get the kind of Super Sunday, you know, big, uh, like we had, because um, it was Chelsea, uh, Tottenham this week at, at that time. So um, there's a lot of kind of manoeuvring around it and a lot of kind of tactics that go into it. And and ultimately the clubs, as we said earlier, kind of sign up to, to that and, and don't have much wiggle room. Although I guess Klopp's main point is that this season is is particularly different. And I guess, and, and that's almost the circular argument, isn't it? Because when I was, when I was trying to unpick the, the actually the bones of that conversation, um, obviously, what you know, the the underlying contractual significance is important. Because what Kelly was basically saying is, well, don't don't blame us, BT. Um, we're the ones that um, are playing by the rules of what the Premier League has set for us. So if the, if you have an issue i.e. head of one of the elite clubs of the Premier League. It's your CEO's job to go to the Premier League and convince enough of your fellow members as clubs to be able to change that structure. But everybody knows all too well that a change to that structure, i.e. presumably making it less attractive, uh, making the product less attractive because you wouldn't be able to pick Champions League um, um, participating teams for a 12-30 game, would obviously have the reaction of that broadcaster who understood the re restrictions placed on it at the time of the tender process and valuing that accordingly, would ask for a rebate at exactly the same time that the Premier League don't not only don't want to be providing that rebate, 
But I guess the incentive for all of the other clubs, the, the, the non-six, for example, would be, I guess, to try and pr- create more competitive imbalance, which would in turn create greater competitive balance because they would be thinking selfishly, if this disadvantages the bigger clubs, we've got a better shot at beating them and then staying in the league and climbing up those extra places and getting that extra broadcasting money. So again, without without you know putting a spin on it, you can just see the circle of incentives and aligned and misaligned incentives just keep keeping on spinning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then as we as we get into this season, it is it is slightly different um, in that. We've obviously got a compressed calendar. So the season started in, in September. Uh, so we're squeezing mm-hmm. in what would normally be, what, 10 months of football into um, in, into nine months, effectively, uh, or, or potentially a bit less, actually. Um, and what we've got this season is, yeah, I think you, you were mentioning down that Gary Neville did a good piece of analysis mm-hmm. on um, on previous United, how they, you know, United seasons where they used to play Saturday midweek, Saturday midweek, and so on. The difference this season is, the, the obviously playing each weekend, but the, the midweeks are particularly intense because the teams are playing the UCC teams are playing Champions League football. So Liverpool have you know, Atalanta, then Brighton, then Ajax, then another game next weekend, uh, and then possibly even a, a Champions League game after that, if not in, if not in two weeks' time. Um, whereas normally with your kind of Saturday midweeks, your midweek might be broken up with a League Cup match, uh, which you know most top teams wouldn't really play their strongest teams. It might be a you know an FA Cup replay later in the season or an FA Cup tie. So generally, you can relax and rotate players. But this season, the, the Champions League squeeze has, has made things harder. And you know, Liverpool, I suppose, in a way, lucky that they haven't got two away games either side of the Brighton game because that mm. that could easily have happened as well. Um, you know, and and Liverpool, the Premier League, Sky, even BT don't have control to the same degree over the Champions League and um, broadcasting. So. Um, you know, there's certain rules around Champions League broadcasting. Liverpool don't play on the same night as Man United to keep, you know, the big fan bases um, separate in terms of um, viewership. Um, so it's, I don't envy the broadcast, I don't envy the league. Like, it's a really tough proposition. And, um, you know, the one hand, you know, as fans of the clubs that we support, we want our clubs to go and buy players for, you know, 40, 50 million pounds and, uh, and have them improve our teams. And on the other hand, we don't want our clubs disadvantaged by the same group of people who are effectively giving giving that money, and and that's uh, yeah, that's the kind of tension we spoke about at the top of the show. Yeah, and you know, we, we what we were talking about, I guess it was, I'm not sure if it was last week or the week before, and deciding what we we're going to talk about then and then talk about now was or was definitely on WhatsApp when we were preparing was the the, the nuance actually of the twelve thirty debate because. I know Klopp mentioned it in terms of the early start on a Saturday that it effectively means, but usually it's where that context is around what the base game is, what the reaction game is, and what the forward-looking game is a lot of the time. So we were trying to work out what would be the worst-case scenario of when a 12.30 would hit a team like Liverpool or another you know, United or City the worst. And what we were thinking was, is if you played on a Wednesday night and had to travel very far back, would then um, uh, have a 12.30 game away from home somewhere. And then I know it couldn't probably happen. Then you'd have a home game probably afterwards in the Champions League as a result. But then a, a, potentially a Tuesday home game, that would almost feel the worst, the worst 
the worst best or the worst worst of everything but the query then would be is if then you're playing on the tuesday following you're probably at the very earliest then going to play saturday 12 30 god forbid again um and then again what what i was looking into the tender document a bit was that you know klopp's obviously very unhappy about these 12 30 starts and there was a really great piece in athletic today about why 12 30 is a problem for sleep recovery recuperation eating pasta and chicken at 9am all those type of things um but you know i think ultimately what what i found was that you know any club can only be um at those 12 30 games um at the maximum of six times this season so Liverpool come the, I think when I was looking at it was the 19th of December after the Palace 12-30 game that's been picked. For the next effective, you know, five and a half months, um, mm-hmm. they're only going to be able to be um, have that 12-30 slot a further three times. So the query is whether, again, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's from more your perspective, would you prefer to get the 12-30 slots out of the way quicker and earlier? Yeah. And then go and get into a routine of better for the remaining part of the season? especially because Liverpool's start to the season has actually been quite a tough one. Maybe you can talk about that more than potentially other teams too. Yeah, I suppose it's all about timing, isn't it? Because if you've got, um, if you happen to have had a free midweek and then you've got a game on the Wednesday, maybe you want that Saturday 12.30 um, game because it gives you enough rest and recovery time uh, ahead of it. Um, it, You're absolutely right that, you know, the travel distances, you know, if you think, we will obviously all enjoy watching a game tonight, you know, in the Champions League, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. But you think about if you're doing exercise until 10 p.m., um, which I certainly don't, but I know, um, you know, a lot of people do. It, it takes it takes a while to then drop off um, after that. And that, you know, if you're then expected to kind of get up, train as you would in the morning, you know, suddenly readjust from doing your peak work at 8 p.m. to then 12.30 and just three days later. I'm not a sports scientist, but you know, I, as, a, as a very amateur sports scientist, I could uh, I could tell you that that's tricky. Um, so I think um, there's one of the interesting things that happen that doesn't happen in in the Premier League that does happen in other countries is um, clubs are moved essentially, or clubs' fixtures are moved to accommodate um, Champions League games. So probably most famous famous recent example was was Ajax in the Champions League. And they were due to play Spurs, I think it was Spurs in the semi-final. Yeah. They, had, um, they were given a week off, basically, by the Eredivisie um, to you know, rest players ahead of, ahead of that game. Obviously, it didn't, didn't quite turn out uh, as well as they might have hoped. But the, the principle of, of a league almost sacrificing itself to a degree, because when you postpone a game on a weekend, you then have to move it to midweek, and midweek games have fewer viewers. Um, so, you know, you're... You know, broadcasts are going to pay less for that because they're going to get fewer people watching it, fewer uh, you know advertisers wanting to pay for it, and so on. So that's that's a decision that a league made. And um, I remember at the time it was a great uh, comment in the press conference where um, uh, Mauricio Pochettino said it was unfair that the Eredivisie could move uh, Ajax's matches, and I think it was Eric Ten Hag said, "Well, it's unfair that Tottenham get 150 million just for playing in the Premier League, and we get like 20 or 10 or something like that for playing." Mm-hmm. So, and um, I suppose that's you know again talking about trade-offs and tensions. That's another one there for for, for clubs to bear in mind. Um, I very much doubt um, you know that Premier League would uh, it would kind of accommodate their their clubs to the same degree because you know a huge amount of their, their values in, in the broadcast rights, unlike say the Eredivisie. But um, yeah, it's all it's all part of this this one pie that um, yeah clubs have to kind of give and take on. 
And correct me if I'm wrong, but is it correct in the Eredivisie that actually part of the club's distribution from Champions League and Europa League is centrally distributed? So there's actually, I guess there, there might have actually been an incentive, you know, because that, that difference, if I remember correctly, I think from getting to the Champions League final from a semi-final is the best part of five or six million euros, I think, probably. So depending on what that distribution would be for the lower teams in terms of share, it might have actually been economically and incentive-wise worth their while to have postponed that match for the yeah. chance of getting to the final and then possibly winning it. Yeah, the clubs agreed to that um, a few years ago, I think. And you know, when Ajax reached Champions League final, their revenues doubled, which is, uh, sorry, semi-final, their revenues doubled from something like 90 million to 180 million, which is right. madness. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, yeah, they, I guess you know when you are smaller leagues, you have the ability to adapt that approach, and if it can make your teams go further in the competition, increase the coefficient, you potentially have you know trickle down effects for the rest of the league. Couple of questions that have come in, Omar. Should we? Um, we can yeah, go. Obviously, we've got um, seven or eight, nine minutes, so get your questions in if you would like to ask um, something. Um, Majid has asked about um, uh, asking about managers from a previous session. Yeah, more than happy to answer anything that comes up um, that you have on that, um, if we can answer it. But um, Olivier has asked, the broadcasting revenue is one of the main drivers for the increasing financial gap between big and small clubs. How can we distribute the broadcasting revenue without further increasing the gap? Yeah, well, this is uh, <laughs> takes us to, to project, project Big Picture, I suppose, from a, from a few weeks ago. Um, you know, the... the as you say, the you know the broadcasting revenue has been the only kind of growth area, or certainly the biggest growth area for clubs over the last twenty years. Um, and you know that's been different leagues taking dis different distribution approaches. Premier League, you know, famously quite quite a um, egalitarian approach to to splitting the money across across teams. With in the last couple of years, the the bigger clubs kind of angling for more revenue and particularly a bigger slice of that the overseas pie. You can understand to a degree their arguments because. You know, what we've been speaking about here around viewership of, of games, Man United's, Liverpool's, Arsenal's, um, Spurs, Chelsea uh, and so on, they are the ones who who the fans predominantly turn the TV on to watch. And so that's their argument to, to kind of get a bigger slice of that pie. The counter argument, obviously, is that competitive balance underpins uh, the reason that those teams are watched. Yes, they're good teams and you want to watch them, but actually the fact that Aston Villa or Burnley or Sheffield United could beat them <clears throat> on any given day is, is the reason to watch them. Um, so, yeah, really, really challenging. Uh, you know, they're almost two diametrically opposed views on how you distribute that broadcast money. Um, and, you know, my, my view on it is a competitive balance is is certainly something that needs to be protected in, in whatever league. I think some of the some of the kind of small mid-sized European leagues really struggle from lack of competitive balance um, and, and bordering on the, you know, being irrelevant. And uh, some of them really, and, you know, you look at the, some of the gaps at the top of the leagues, just speak about the Eredivisie, which is an example of that. Um, but, you know, how how kind of you accommodate big clubs to, to allow that is, is the big challenge. Yeah, I was, just, I was literally just clicking on something because I um, Swiss Ramble actually did a really, really good thread about five or six months ago that I actually drafted a, sh a small piece on because actually it was it was very good on some of the insights and I'm, I'm, I'm not obviously going to recall offhand but there was just a couple of bits that were actually really interesting in terms of 
standout statements, which was the first that I saw and what we talked about was the 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 the, the calculation supposedly is is that every Premier League club receives more money from their TV deal than all other European clubs except Barcelona and Real Madrid, which I found quite a big standout. Um, and even better and starker was this one, which was, um, even though this is almost a year old, I guess, in terms of financial um, um, uh, projections um, and accounts, but the bottom club in the Premier League, Huddersfield, when they got relegated, earned more from their domestic TV deal than Atletico Madrid, Bayern Munich, Dortmund, and Juventus. And even brilliantly, the, the, the great one was Real Madrid fell behind Everton and Wolves in the broadcasting uh, revenue league table. Yeah. Um, and there were lots of interesting things about disparities between um, uh, equitable and uh, inequitable distributions and such. But all of those type of things I just found fascinating in terms of, you know, how well the Premier League has been able to sell its broadcasting deal to the extent that, you know, even some of Europe's largest clubs aren't receiving the same distributions as mid-table, sorry, Everton fans and Wolves fans, <laughs> mid-ish table, um, um, you know, Premier League clubs. Yeah, and, and kind of to bring us back, um, you know, to the twelve thirty kickoffs. This is why um, La Liga, I think, probably about four or five years ago, started introducing twelve thirty kickoffs um, because they recognised that you know their their I guess broadcast money needs to be able to grow so they can have their mid table teams compete with Premier League mid table teams. So they're trying to tap into that that Asian audience, um, which uh, to be honest, I don't know how successfully that's worked, but they've, they've certainly attempted it. They've also rather smartly played uh, Barcelona Real Madrid games at 3 p.m. on Saturdays um, quite a number of times over the last few years. And two reasons for that, or I guess one main reason for that is um, because that's not a pre that's not a UK TV slot. It's a blackout, which uh, we'll probably run out of time to talk about. But you know, th there's no big games on that time. Very few big Premier League teams on that time. So it's an opportunity for you know, for fans around the world who might normally be Premier League fans to watch La Liga, sorry, a big La Liga game instead. And it's at a good time slot because it's kind of late evening in Asia and, and kind of morning in, in America, which is a big important market for, for La Liga. Um, you know, Serie A has experimented a bit with, with 1230s. Uh, you know, all these leagues are going to have to find where where they have these captive audiences and captive markets in order to tap into and to, uh, to get them watching their leagues. Yeah, no, I completely agree there. Um, Majid, you've actually touched on a few other points. There's a couple of questions about um, talent and managers. I think we'll probably leave that for another time, only because I think I want to try and keep the flow of a couple more minutes worth of broadcasting points. And Dan Strickland's actually asked the, I guess, the £10 billion question, um, which um, is, do you foresee a situation in the near future where the Premier League adopts a streaming service for all games like NFL, do with their games would it be would it be worth more money to them i don't know if you got a view on that on that <laughs> the brief one which is yeah. yeah i mean it's like the it's supposed to be like i think it got labeled as premflix didn't it um, yeah. of netflix equivalent of the premier league going by itself bypassing broadcasters developing an ott offering worldwide and selling a season ticket effectively now um there's always well i guess always be massive challenges to that because effectively what the premier league doing it do is doing is outsourcing its uh, and providing a license to be able to broadcasters to be able to broadcast those matches 
if they bypass broadcasters and suddenly become the suppliers, the marketeers, the downstream um, providers of the service, um, they would be going into a lot of different, um, highly nuanced global markets um, to, to be able to sell their product. It's obviously something that they could do and could possibly do. Um, and interestingly, when the Premier League were um, interviewing chief executives a while back, if I remember correctly, each of the chief executives, I think it was at a discovery, and then I can't remember who else it was that accepted and then obviously declined. If you recall, they were both um, OTT broadcasting um, executives, and that obviously perhaps showed the way of the uh, strategic or tactical approach that the Premier League was maybe looking to try and employ, which was, is this something we can do? Is it actually more of an incremental approach we need to engage on, which is, do we do that in a couple of particular key markets or smaller key markets and see how it actually works? Because again, ultimately, it's like, you know, killing the goose that lays the golden eggs. Do you suddenly, you know, decide not to take the nine billion pounds global amount that's on the table, obviously for a lot of work the Premier League has to do, or do you have to probably take on quite a lot of um, um, VC or private equity money in order to set up what would effectively be a global enterprise to be able to uh, market the Premier League worldwide? But, you know, again, it's um, a difficult one. Yeah, I think uh, I think you summarised it really well there. From, from everything I've read, the the initial approach might be into smaller markets where there isn't necessarily a, a big, you know, a big uh, telco or, or whoever buying the the Premier League rights in those markets and an opportunity to test the water. Um, but yeah, it's you know the what Sky and BT give you is is you know that comfort of the check, but also they they've got their own packages and their own strategies that that bring people in to you know, into their packages. So if you're a cricket fan, maybe you don't, maybe you will go for the Premier League subscription as well, because that's, you know, it's, it's useful to have it all on Sky. Mm. Uh, so there's things like that, which, you know, you're talking about consumer behavior, here, which which is a very, certainly beyond my pay grade and in a very kind of complex area, but uh, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. No, it's great. Well, we're, we're at 7.30 as usual. It's gone, for, for me, it's gone pretty quickly anyway. I love having these chats. I hope everybody that's watched it has, um, yeah, enjoyed. Um, feel free to share the content. We'll, we'll put it again out on podcast, um, on YouTube. Um, it's gone out on Omar's Periscope tonight as well. Um, and yeah, any any last thoughts, Omar? <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, look forward to catching up next week. Perfect. Best of luck for Liverpool tonight, I guess. Absolutely. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Football Law read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the done deal football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book done deal an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word 
can go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.